Hey guys, it's me, P. And me, S. And you're listening to the Girl on Girl podcast. But it's not what you think. But also, it's kind of what you think. Okay, here's the deal. My name is Persis. I'm queer, Indian, femme, and a little over five feet tall. And my name is Sarah. I'm straight, white, cis, and a proud ginger. Every episode, we're going to talk about sexuality from a queer perspective, from a straight perspective, and what it means to find the fluidity between the two. We're going to talk about taboos, labels, dating, awkward moments, pop culture icons. We're also going to talk safe sex, self-discovery, discrimination, and what it means to be a queer minority. Hi guys, I hope you've had such an amazing couple of weeks. How is everyone doing mentally? And I want to know what everyone's goals are. Do you have any? Do you have any resolutions? New shows you're watching? Any queer books you're reading? Please give me all the recos, guys. I'm trying to read a book a month this year, so let's see if I can stick to that. I also noticed a lot of y'all have been watching the L Word Generation Q when I posted that poll about a week ago. You know, I got to admit that I'm obsessed with it, (laughs) and I just watched the finale last night, so if anyone wants to discuss it, please send me a DM and let me know your thoughts because we got a lot to unpack. So let's just dive right into it. On this week's episode, Sarah and I had the pleasure of talking to Alexa Rose Vitali. And just a quick sidebar, we recorded this interview with Alexa while Sarah was still in Canada. So you will get some Sarah content this week. You are very welcome. (laughs) Um, But yeah, then moving forward, it's going to be a little solo pee time, but really happy Sarah was a part of this conversation. So Alexa is an absolute boss, aka queer actor turned director. Alexa talked to us about the time she wrote and directed a queer TV pilot about two girls who started a business together in Vancouver while navigating their different sexualities and love lives. It was the first screenplay to be produced after Alexa transitioned from being an actor and model in numerous Punjabi music videos that would gain like this insane amount of views. You got to check it out. She also gets super candid and vulnerable with us about how she experienced a lot of pushback during this process. Through that experience, Alexa was able to gain insights about taking up space confidently as a new writer and director while also being queer and feminine in a very cis male-dominated film industry. Alexa actually came out publicly as bisexual when filming the pilot and now identifies as pansexual. Before we dive right into this episode, we also wanted to share the clothing line Alexa is working on called Rosebud Apparel, a clothing company that believes in equitable access to the arts. The company's mission is to provide funds for youth in the arts across Canada through clothing sales. This will be launching sometime in the late spring or summer, so make sure you follow Alexa to get all the details. So for more information, check out the episode description for the links to Alexa Social and the rosebudfund.com. Alexa, thank you so much for being a part of the Girl on Girl conversation. These conversations are so important to have and will be helpful to anyone looking to pursue a career in film. Also, fun fact if y'all didn't know, Alexa is actually the sibling of our pal, Kira Graves. 
Kira is a non-binary actor and YouTube content creator, and we had Kira on the podcast last year, as well as for the in-person live event we hosted with MRG during Pride Month. So make sure to check out their episode because it was absolutely lovely. All right, guys, without further ado, let's dive right in. Okay, Alexa, for any listeners who might not know who you are, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your pronouns, and how you identify? Yeah, absolutely. So I identify as pansexual. I am attracted to um, people. I'm not really dependent on uh, their gender representation. I uh, use she, her pronouns. I am a filmmaker, actor, and writer. Love that. I love it. And um, if you're comfortable... Could you share your coming out story with us if you have a coming out story specifically? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so my coming out story was kind of serendipitous because it coincided with the time I was writing about a character who was coming out and who was closeted, who just moved to Vancouver, which, you know, was kind of reminiscent of, you know, my early 20s when I did that myself. Um, and um, so I was writing this screenplay about this girl named Radha who comes from India and moves to Vancouver. And uh, she is closeted about her sexuality. And um, I was at the time as well, um, but I had like some casual encounters with women, which I was like, hmm, I don't know what this means. I'm just gonna kind of roll with it. And like, I guess I'll talk about it if it becomes a thing, uh, which was my like kind of the way I was handling it at the time. But I ended up having a pretty significant um, experience with a woman who uh, had a lot of internalized homophobia. She said something to me that really like just shook me and made me kind of feel differently about the approach I was taking. And why do people hate us burn to queer women? It really hurt my heart. Like I felt really heartbroken about that she felt that way. Um, and that probably a lot of people feel that way. And um, then it also shone a mirror on my own internalized homophobia that I thought didn't exist, um, but it, it did because I was avoiding talking about it to a lot of my straight girlfriends at the time. I kind of had certain people I talked to about it and then there were certain straight girlfriends. I was like, oh no, I don't want to tell them because they might judge me. Ugh. Yeah, totally, uh, totally. <laughs> So when she said that, I just, it shook me. It was one of those pivotal moments. And I was writing a story about a character who is going through coming out. And I just thought like, I want to be a person who helps make it seem okay. So I'm just going to talk about it. Um, and so I told my friends first, and then I made a social media post about it. Beautiful. And, um, then most people were really supportive, but that really pushed me to like confront my, my own internalized homophobia that I wasn't looking at. Wow, that's amazing. When you posted on social media, were you nervous? Were you excited? Were you expecting that response from most people? Um, well, I had figured like I already told most people in my life, immediate life. And then when I post on social media, I was kind of just looking forward to like, I don't know, letting everyone ripping off the bandaid, just putting it out there. I felt very positive about it, like from my heart and what the intention was coming from me. So the intention made me feel good about it, even though I was nervous as hell, to be honest. Yeah. And I feel like the intention behind that is really pure. It's coming from the place of internalized homophobia and wanting the world to know that you, like, we we don't hate queer women. 
Like we can confront, we confront that internalized thing and then declare it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it was uh, really heartwarming to get a lot of very like supportive feedback from that. So it was yeah. a, it was a good experience. I feel very fortunate because not everyone has a positive experience in that. Um, yeah, but I yeah, love totally. this too. Totally. And then let's talk about acting a little bit. Um, yeah. When did you first start getting into acting? Like, do you remember what your first role was? Like, how did that seed kind of get planted? Yeah. Um, so my first role was in, it was a music video and Ooh. I had, yes, Love that. like I did, I did the first dates, which was like, I don't know. I considered it. I was like, Oh, am I acting? I think it was hosting technically. Cool. I was on a reality show. So I'll just kind of skip over that a little bit because I was working at a restaurant and auditioned after that though. I just, was looking at one of my friend's stories on Instagram and I had always wanted to get into film, but I was never brave enough to do it. Um, so I was looking at one of my friend's stories on Instagram and she posted a story where she was like riding in a really beautiful like vehicle with her hair blowing in the wind. It's just footage of her in a music video. And I was like, oh, what are you doing? This looks amazing. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I want to do that. What are you doing? How did you get into that? Yeah. Um, so she was like, one day I was, I was in school for digital marketing and I was waitressing and she just calls me and she goes, Hey, so someone canceled for a music video. Um, they're shooting in two hours. Can you make it? And I was like, yeah, I had tables still. Like, <laughs> I was like, I, like, I was like wearing my work uniform. I was probably covered in like ketchup and hot sauce. Like for like, I don't even know, but I answered yes. Like I'll go. And uh, she sent me the address. It was like somewhere super random and sketchy to be honest, like it wasn't, but it was like, anyway, so I asked to get out of my shift early and like, I had never done my closing duties so fast in my life. Like I was just like <laughs> yes. throwing garbage, like bags into the disposal, like at lightning speed. Um, oh never my God. Cutlery so fast in my life. Every server listening yeah. or every person who has ever served who's They're listening late. right now will know the closing duties, yeah. <laughs> how fast you can do those and get out of there when yeah you need to so it was for a music video for a Punjabi rapper who has sadly passed he passed away last year oh no um, as well yeah so um very sadly he passed last year but that was my first music video and um it was a I needed to like cry in this as well it was a breakup and I didn't have any acting experience so I just listened to breakup songs in my like <laughs> from my uh, in my earphones between takes and cried during this breakup video it was very, very moody I had no idea what the lyrics were they were just like you're sad yeah because it's like and a Punjabi like, I'm assuming like a Punjabi song so you're like I had no it. clue didn't know who the <laughs> rapper was I had no idea he was like a big deal too and I just showed up and I was like hi I got out of my shift like what do you guys need me to do I'm ready to cry on demand put yeah, me to work um and so that was what that was like it was a very um interesting experience they definitely had me do a crying scene and then want me to be in like an in love scene and then go back to crying which I was like why did you I just had to redo my makeup all the time. Yeah, hello. Um, hello. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. I'm super grateful for that experience. It was totally random. And that was my first official acting experience. And then after that, you were hooked. After that, I was hooked. Yeah. I was in it. The rest yeah, is we history. Like, 
exactly 3am and I was like yeah this is for me and I don't know if you if you wanted to mention this or not but your sibling is Kira Graves who we've had on the pod before so listeners of the pod who have been around for a while you'll recognize that name and Kira is an actor so was that a little bit of inspiration for you too to see that like someone who was so close to you was doing it and like so you could easily do it too you know it was definitely you know it really inspired me because I feel like I looked towards um, them pursuing their passion as um something that I had always wanted to do, but I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had even been chatting on the phone once and I gave them advice that I would didn't give to myself. And that was a clue. I was like, I was like, you know, just um, do the thing that lights you up, like do that thing. And meanwhile, I was like working a job that I didn't like. Um, <laughs> yes. So I feel like, yeah, that conversation and then um, was really helpful. And yeah, watching them pursue their passions helped me to you know, feel like validated in that um, I deserved to pursue my passions as well. Because I definitely, mm. yeah, felt Absolutely. I had some like worth issues around pursuing what I had wanted to pursue. I was going to mention very relatable. It's so relatable because you could be giving someone advice and, you know, keep encouraging them to like live out their dreams and do the things that authentically please them. But then you look back at what you're doing and you know, I was even just thinking about this, like, there's also like such a correlation between like identity and also trying to like find your passion. And I think I just want to give you a lot of props for looking at that and then being like, well, I can do this too. And going for it. So it's not easy. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's definitely, a, it was definitely a brave step to like walk away from my marketing job. Yeah. So I could wow do film. What Were you doing like kind of a nine to five? type of marketing job? Yeah. Yeah. I went to school for journalism and then I had a marketing job, like digital marketing agency job. Um, and I knew that I wanted to work in film, but didn't want to be broke. So I started an online business for digital marketing. Yeah. So I could like have something and then kind of went into film from, from there with like that backup. But yes, I was in a nine to five and told my friends I was leaving my job and all that. Wow. It's so badass. That is yeah. badass. badass. That, th- these are the stories we love. Yes, seriously. <laughs> leaving, leaving the job in Vancouver. Just uh, so you, quit. sidebar, sorry, you live in Vancouver yes. right now. I am traveling for work in Vancouver. I live in hotels. It's completely random. Yeah. I'm working. Yeah, I've been working in film in Ontario for the past like year and a bit. And then I work in BC on contract traveling, but I spend like the last seven or eight years in Vancouver. So that oh, cool. feels like home. Uh, yeah. I um, yeah. typically live in Vancouver. I'm not there right now, but I absolutely love it there. It's so nice. It I, definitely I love Toronto like- as well. Like, I'm honestly torn between the two cities. Yeah, me too. They're so different. I think I might like Vancouver more, but then I come back to Toronto sometimes and I'm like, oh, do I? They just both have so much to offer. I feel like Vancouver in the summer is like really, really nice. You're like just by the beach. Oh, there is nothing like it. There is absolutely nothing like it. Yeah. There's nothing like it. And the plants all year round. I find that really helps my mental health. Yes. And then cherry blossom season in the spring. Oh, yeah. You guys listening, go to Vancouver all year round, all year round, but specifically in the summer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Avoid November, December. Yeah. Yeah, Avoid. Avoid. But also avoid Toronto, November, December. 
That's true. true. Go somewhere else. Just go somewhere hot, you guys. Go somewhere hot. Los Angeles? Just yes. A little LA moment, maybe Mexico? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Panama, anywhere. Alexa, you brought this up earlier in the interview about the uh, queer TV pilot about the two girls who started this business together, navigating their sexualities. Um, you had mentioned to us that this was your first screenplay you produced and you made this transition from like actor to director. Um, what made you shift to those roles? Mm. Well, I was acting in a feature film called Ishk, um, which was banned from India, but it did release for one weekend. Um, my character was like the pretty girl who flirts with the guy, but doesn't get him because she's too like sexually um, confident mm-hmm. in herself, right? Like that's, it was seen, it was framed as like not a good thing. Um, and uh, I was digging into this character and I really wanted to give her more, like something to work with. Like I wanted to give her some redeeming qualities. I wanted to give her some depth. I wanted to play into that assertive part of her and like give her some background. Um, and when I had been like diving into this character and discussing with the director um, and just realizing she wasn't meant to have, <laughs> she wasn't meant to have depth um, in that particular oh. <laughs> role, I had started to, you know, really realize that I have passions for telling the story in more ways than just performing. And I wanted to contribute to the overall arc of the characters um, and that I had a real like passion for bringing that to life and providing details and substance to all the characters. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so, cool. so you started envisioning a backstory for this character and that's kind of what turned into the character for your pilot. Um, the character for my pilot was based off of uh, me starting an online business in Vancouver. Okay. Um, but um, the director of photography who I worked with on both that music video and the um, feature film, uh, we became writing partners on this pilot for the girl who moves from India, uh, who partners with the girl who's in Vancouver nice. and they start a business together. Yeah. So we wrote it together and um, I, how I made that transition, I think was, I was talking a lot about wanting to develop the character more um, with him as well. And then uh, he read a short story that I had written that was published and it was very like, I guess I wrote very visually. And so he was the first person to just be like, you know, have you ever like thought about just like making a film? Do you want me write this thing? I feel like you could like, you know, contribute a lot to a writing project that I have like just to see with like information about these two girls who work together. It helped me to have someone encourage me. And I just know that there's so many creative people out there or people who have passions they want to pursue and they need that like permission or they need that encouragement. And totally. I just, because it changed my life so much, I definitely want to be that in some way for other people yeah you want to pay it forward Mm -hmm. yeah and creatives can be so um we can all be so like insular sometimes and in our own heads and sometimes it takes another person to bring it bring that out not only to give us inspiration to know we can do it but to kind of expand on creatively on and collaborate on what is happening inside of our heads because it can be so kind of stuck in there sometimes absolutely that just nails it and I think like we can also really get stuck in stories we tell ourselves about what we're capable of oh yeah and having someone just like help pull us out of that and be like wait why was I brainwashed into thinking that like let me rewrite that story in my head 100%. yes 
Ah, I love that. Okay, so you wrote this TV pilot, um, and then you also have a short film called Violet Skies, and you were the writer, director, producer of the short film, and you also performed in it. So can you tell us a little bit about that process and what inspired that short film? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I wrote the first draft of that when I was in grad school, uh, journalism school. Um, I was sad and I really <laughs> wanted, I was sad. That's all the inspiration so that we need. <laughs> yeah, I was in my like, you know, studio apartment and Aww. I just I didn't feel like I had anyone I could talk to about what was going on in my head. So I wrote, I came up with this character for the the uh, the short story. His name's Carl. I don't know why, just Carl. Carl's a great and name. He was, he was the mentor that I needed in my yes. life. So I wrote a, a character of the mentor giving me the advice that I needed at that time in my life. And then I wrote a whole short story about it. Um, and then um, that's the story that got published in the anthology eventually. Um, oh, okay. Hall, um, which is on Amazon. And uh, then my writing partner read that story and then it kind of flip, flip the switch of like, oh, I can make this into a film. I want to make this into a film. So that was the next logical step. So I, yeah, started learning the process of turning that into a screenplay, um, learning more about direction and not just working with actors, but working with the shots as well, like being very deliberate with um, the types of shots and movement to tell the story, like visual storytelling. Very cool. Um, I really nerded out over that whole process and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. How long did that take you? Like not like maybe not the whole process, but the learning part of it. Um, well, semi-legal I did first. So that was a huge, that was like, felt like my film school. Got it. Um, uh, that one didn't get through post-production entirely, but I learned a ton, um, on that set. And then I just started watching films differently after that. Um, I had loved story, but I never analyzed, um, like editing grammar or shots prior to that. And then I started like studying films I loved and looking at why certain choices in uh, the camera or storytelling or direction made me feel a certain way. Mm. Um, and I started thinking about that and thinking about how I could apply similar principles to my film. So I think that took, uh, I think I did like two months of, two months of like, think of like changing the script, finding people. We shot it over four days on Vancouver Island, uh, no, no, on Sunshine Coast. Um, yeah. And how can people watch it if they want to? Is there a way? Um, there will be. I think that they should uh, keep in touch with me. I can like, I'll post a link eventually, but right now it's still on the film festival circuit. So okay. Amazing. if you pay attention to what I'm doing, eventually I will be posting a link. Right now it is still on the film festival circuit. Okay. Perfect. Good Can't wait. Yeah. We will watch this space, you guys. Watch awesome. this space. <laughs> <laughs> That was Violet's guy. Love that. That was the 23-year-old me that needed advice. Of course. And I find yeah. like, you know, those moments of sadness can lead to a lot of beautiful art, like beautiful music, beautiful books, beautiful yeah. movies. Like there's always a story to tell. So that makes sense. It was like your creative outlet. It was. It was like my therapy at yeah. the time. Yeah. And we find this in the queer um, film and TV and just like queer art in general is like this feeling that so many queer people can identify with of like loneliness or feeling like they might be the only one who understands. And then once that art is expressed, it's so clear that it's like a, almost a universal kind of 
understanding and it's so relatable and that's why like queer art is so powerful I feel like yes I agree it does make it relatable and universal that is so true yeah once it's expressed like we all have those feelings but you just gotta let it out let it out let it out and so it doesn't like just like way down here I know everyone needs a Carl everyone needs a Carl That's so cute. And that is my new mantra. Carl. (laughs) Carl. I don't, it's so random. It's perfect. It feels perfect. (laughs) Yeah. It's just a sage, like, yeah. Wise. Wise. Yeah. Like the life experience. Exactly. Carl knows. Carl knows. Carl knows. So I want to bring it back to you working on this Punjabi music video, but you've been involved in a few Punjabi videos, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Can you tell us about that experience? I want to know everything. I can. I can. It was, it was wild. Um, It was mostly once your name got out there with people who were like filmmakers who were working on the Punjabi video kind of sets, um, I would just get like calls or texts from people and they'd be like, are you free? Um, And I would, uh, yeah. So that's kind of how the casting went. It wasn't like from the studio or anything. Um, but it was a lot of fun, um, beautiful locations a lot of the time, nice car, like great vehicles that were used as props. Um, the glam team was amazing um, on all the sets. And oh, like, gosh. I just remember, I think the one scene that like was the quintessential, you know, reminiscent time of me being into Punjabi music videos where I was standing on top of like one foot on the window ledge and like one foot on something else. I think they had me ho- hoisted like on a ladder, but like part of my foot was cut off from the scene um, on like a Jeep Wrangler. Ooh, love a Jeep and Wrangler. then <laughs> I'm wearing like a red bodysuit and boots and holding a, uh, a, a like a gun, which I would never hold in my life. Um, and I had like a big fan blowing my hair back. And there were three of us like girls up on this Jeep Wrangler. And I just remember thinking, like, this is a memory. Like, it's a core memory. It's very bizarre. This is a core memory. Oh my god! Can you please send us the link? Yeah, send us the link. Yeah, I'll send you the link. It was just, I was just like, this is so random. And like, I didn't know who the artists were. Like most of the time, I just went and I did it. Didn't know what the songs were about, but I knew I was there in a bodysuit, standing on a vehicle. But that also was like part of me being like. I want to write characters. I like getting paid for this and it's fun. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I want to move yeah. on from this. It's a fun yeah. experience. Totally. Like, and cool to just, it's a cool story to tell. And also, weren't some of these videos like quite successful or they were very like popular artists like in that genre? So that's great. Yeah, it was a cool experience. And I met a lot of filmmakers um, who like in that field who were really passionate about what they were doing. And that was super helpful. I feel like that was the most valuable mm. thing that I got from acting in. Punjabi music videos or modeling in them was talking to the director of photography, talking to like all the people on set and making connections yes. with really creative people. Totally. Totally. You can't go wrong, especially when you're starting out. Like get like be a sponge, get as much information and make as many contacts as you possibly can. And watch how they op- like watch how people like are operating. I found that helpful. Like I was always studying what people were doing and how the camera was operating and what kind of a slider it was on and like what kind of lens they were using. Um, so yeah, it was, yeah. From that experience, what do you think was the main thing you learned about the South Asian culture? Um, 
in from and from that uh that setting basically i think i probably learned uh maybe more from the south asian, asian culture from writing semi-legal just because i feel mm. like it was a little more grounded um than the music videos which can be they're very larger than life um right and very um, bollywood very yeah they were very it was very glam and it was a lot of fun and I what I learned I think from those music videos was just how much fun Punjabi music is Mm -hmm. um and I was just like this is like why am I not I want to shoot crap like like, I'm having a good time but like I had no idea so I learned how fun it is and um just like the costume and the culture and the lighting Mm -hmm. um that they put in they put a lot of production value into their music videos um so I feel like I really gained a lot learning about, yes, production value in terms of lighting and all that. Ah, oh, man. The, and then the in terms music, of culture, the color. Yeah, the... If you need oh, a yeah, good playlist, and... I'll, I'll send you one. My friend just sent me like the okay. greatest Punjabi mix because I also was like oh, just God. getting into it like maybe two years ago. I was like, oh, this slaps. <laughs> like, I love it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Sometimes I hear it when someone's driving down, like now that I'm in the lower mainland again, because there's like a lot of like, there's a lot of people from that community. So I'm like, yes, I recognize that song. <laughs> Purse, can you send me the link too and we can share it on our um, on our socials so of that course. everyone can listen? Yeah. I, I feel like that's necessary. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about queerness specifically in the film industry and being queer in the film industry and what that experience is like. Because unfortunately, the film industry is very cis male dominated space it has been you know since film started obviously things are shifting um and they have been for the last few decades but I am sure you would agree we're not anywhere near where we should be or where we could be so how did it feel for you moving from actor then to writer and director like actually creating pieces of work in the film industry as a queer person you know, um, it felt very uh, powerful and overwhelming, I think, at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, because I was processing all of those things simultaneously. It was very much like everything at once. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You Because uh, when you were writing that first pilot was when you were coming out for the first time. Yes. And I worked with a lot of the same people when I was acting in the feature film. Uh, I was I was at a straight at I didn't come out yet. Um, and then it's, once I was in a writer director role, then I came out with similar people. And then I was also in a leadership position and it was just juggling a lot of, I think, um, maybe changing expectations between people. And, um, it generally felt like a very, like a positive responsibility to have in terms of just trying to get the story out there. Um, and have like representation, even though it was a bit of a challenging space, um, as I think my first project, but mm. I'm really glad that I did that. It was like really ripping off all the band-aids. Mm-hmm. At the same time. Definitely. Yeah. And you had mentioned you also experienced all the, a lot of pushback when trying to get the pilot produced. Like, why do you think that is? Yeah. Um, it was a very like, I would say throughout my my role, when I was a pretty actress working on the same people, I was treated way differently than when I was a director. Mm-hmm. Um, the general vibe like switched to basically either dismissive or hostile um, most of the time, generally. Uh, yeah, it was like, um, or just sexualizing me, like, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so 
because I was also performing in the piece, I remember sitting in like the editor's room and they were being very dismissive and hitting on me and like whistling when I would show up as a character. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm dying. And then I also, I'm just so livid and furious. And I had to work through a lot of anger because like, I worked so hard to be detailed in my notes and detailed with my work. Um, even more so than a lot of the other, like, I just feel like I was working really hard to be super on point. Um, and then I would still, they, people would still like try to like diminish my role by sexualizing me. Um, that was hard to stomach because I was really passionate about the story we're telling as well and really wanted to get it out there. Um, and I felt like I probably pushed myself too hard on that one because it took a lot out of me emotionally. Um, but still, glad I did it um but yes yeah, so there was dismissive like I would bring notes into the editing room and be completely dismissed and or hit on when I like wasn't in the room so awful I was locked out of meetings that was during editing like that was during the creation process not even the you know trying to like get it made shopping it process so yes and circling back there the shopping it was um my writing partner who's a uh, male in it, uh, got it picked up from a producer. He did the meetings. Um, the producer liked him as a person. I'm not sure if he read the script. I don't know if he knew it was a queer storyline. I think he started to pick that up later. I think, yeah, he was just kind of by, I would do things so much differently in the future. It's such a great <laughs> learning experience. But um, so once it was picked up, um, once he was going to produce it, it was an independent producer, um, the producer gave me and my writing partner uh, contracts. Um, we got shares and um, the uh, my male counterpart got uh, 25%. Guess what they offered me? Yes. I don't even want to because I know Throw the answer. Okay, I'm going to say, so, so he was offered 25%. Yeah, that's what they offered me. I'm scared gonna, to even know, guess. Yeah, I'm scared. I'm going to guess uh, 15. I'm going to say like 10. Lower. They offered me five. Yeah, it was so, okay. So they offered me five and I didn't know. I had no idea. They like gave me my contract. That's um, And so, so fucked up. And my writing partner, because he's not a misogynist, uh, he saw his contract and I think he did and he's like, so if you gave me 25, like, are you giving away 50% to the two creators? Like, did you give Alexa like 25 as well? Like, or did you split up that way? And they go, oh no, we gave her five. And so he made them send back the contracts. He's like, no, like we're equal partners on this. Like you need to divvy it up evenly. Wow. But that was the first foot we got onto. That was just the precedent. That was like the first steps. So everything that followed was within that, within that mindset that ideology of like ah what's she doing here I don't know so in your from your point of view what do you think was causing for these people this dismissiveness do you think it was your gender do you think it was your sexuality do you think it was um, your age like was it all of the above was it your queerness like what was it um I you know because I, I don't know exactly what was in their heads, but I do think that it had a lot to do with just gender and sexualizing the feminine. Mm. Um, I think that 
they were unable to see me in a leadership position because if they perceive you as attractive, you can't be in a leadership role. I think that was generally the ideology that was accepted. Um, we just talked so- about this on a, on a recent yeah. podcast. There's actually research that has been done about like attractiveness or beauty air quotes and how that relates to how successful you are depending on the industry in some industries it's helpful and in some industries it's actually a hindrance because you're not taken as seriously if you're more attractive yeah yeah it definitely felt like um they were okay with me being an actress but they I wasn't uh, I wasn't invited to meetings I was a co-director and co-wrote the script and the characters were mostly ones that I came up with and you weren't in meetings uh I I wasn't in meetings and, um, and uh, I was just uh, talked around like other people were spoken to instead of me and to have a nervous breakdown, deep breaths, don't lose it. And I found that like the toughest battle, like for me was if I was like passive um, or more like soft-spoken, then again, I'm being ignored. So it's one of those like situations where I didn't know how to interact in that environment to get things moving the way that I needed them to move. Right. Um, eventually, yeah, eventually, um, we had to close down the production and restart it, um, just because mm. the way the actors were being treated by the certain people on set was not okay. Um, and I was just like, okay, we're done. We're resetting. We're getting a new crew. We ended up getting a new crew. Okay. That's good. Um, for re- rebooting, which helped because I just realized I was like, nothing I say is working. So what if I just shut it down? Yeah. You have the power. Well, and that's what they don't realize is they're giving you, they're trying to give you 5%. They're trying to dismiss you. And meanwhile, you have the power to shut the whole thing down. That's how much power you have in this equal partnership. So for them to dismiss you, it's all, I mean, it's pretty badass. I don't know. Yeah, if I were, I'd like, be like, I'll pull the plug. Canceling. Bye. 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 <laughs> Figure it out. New crew. Let's go. Let's do this properly with proper contracts for everyone. Yes. Otherwise, we're not doing this because we're not making people, getting people in trouble. So yeah, we shut it down. Um, but I definitely took a break, um, a little bit of a mental break. I found that like the time spent um, there was very taxing mm-hmm. and I needed to like re-regulate my nervous system, which was just fucked um, right. after. Um, so much anxiety. Yeah, it was just a lot. It was every day really stressful. So I ended up working in Ontario and film after that um, with some like female producers and mm-hmm. also some male directors and producers, just people who... Um, I felt really comfortable and safe working with, and it helped me, you know, reconnect with the joy in the industry, which I never mm-hmm. let totally fade, but it helped me like, just know, Hey, there's safe spaces in the film industry totally. and you need to like be there. And you'll else. find them. Yeah. Um, did you feel like the queer part of the story that you had written was being respected and was being like empowered? Like, was that a big part of you being like, I need to not only protect myself and my work, but also like, this is an important story that is, you know, a part of representation that maybe isn't being seen. And like, I want to protect that part of it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I was just like my heart was in that story so much and I just yeah. believed it was so important to be told and to be shared um that I wanted to protect it I wanted to protect the people working on the set um and I wanted to uh have the story be shared and I I knew that I was probably like the producer didn't understand like stand the why the story was important um so it was harder to like push like if there was a decision that was important it's like we know we can't make this change because it really 
changes the way the story is being told. And this is a very important, you know, aspect. Um, those conversations weren't really, it wasn't possible to like have those properly because I, yeah, the, I think your values really need to align with the other people you're working with, the why behind why you're telling the story. Yes. Um, and that's something that I learned for the feature. But yeah, the queer storyline is very important to me. It was also something I was going through at that time. So I just feel like I really poured every ounce of like my heart and soul into that story. And yeah, um, yeah it was you. It was, it was inspired by you. It's coming from and no heart. one knows your story better than you. Like good, like good for you for knowing your worth for taking your work back and for like reclaiming everything. A writing partner and I have uh, sort of began to read as a script because um, we didn't want to work with the produced material anymore. We're just moving away from that. Um, so we right. can be on, a, be on our own. So Amazing. We can't wait to see it. Do you have any idea when that might be coming to fruition? Is it kind of up in the air? Not yet. Um, we've both been working on other projects that kind of ended up um, becoming more uh, prominent in our headspace in the last uh, like year or so, but it's definitely still being worked on. And I know we're both still passionate about the story. Can't wait. Awesome. Cannot wait Can't to see wait. it. We talk about queer representation literally every single episode. I don't think there's one episode where we don't bring it up because we're obsessed. We're obsessed. And just like you said, you bringing this queer storyline that is so relatable to you. It, it is your story is so important. We need to see that. But I'm just curious to know your perspective, like what queer media or sorry, queer representation do you think is still missing in film and TV today? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And um, I think I have a, I'll bring up a favorite example of a character that I think displayed queerness in a way that I would like to see more of. And that's David Rose from Schitt's Creek. I absolutely loved how um his queerness was represented in that show and it was just done in such like a uh, natural and intelligent way it's believable it's authentic it's not for clickbait it's just an authentic natural ingrained part of the story um and i'd love to see more characters represented in that way and also characters where you don't assume their gender yep or sexuality sorry yeah <laughs> yeah characters where you don't assume their gender sexuality and you know we get to the point where we can like watch a show or watch a movie and like let the character tell us maybe who they're interested in or what their gender identity is rather than us always assuming it straight and then being like oh like you know it's kind of like they make a big point of it if it's not if they're not straight a lot of the time and then it's yeah it's like, like a big reveal Exactly. Like, yeah. like it just be, you know, normalized. I feel like that would be a big stepping stone for yep. media representation. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, is it normalized or like where, where does it become where it's like um, overdone or it's like tokenism or yeah. um, maybe you're not doing enough, but I think we should lean towards normalizing. Cause I yeah, think that's just how society should be too. <laughs> so absolutely. <laughs> in our media. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like if you're not, you're in a leadership position in film and you're not a queer creator, but you want to include those storylines and include queer people on your writing team, on your direction team, on your set, um, and they'll really help bring authenticity. Yes. Such a good point because um, Dan Levy being one of the creators and writers of the show, I mean, it's so clearly his voice coming through in that character and expressing, I'm sure, so much of his personal story, right? And it's just, that is what makes it authentic. That's what makes it fun and funny. It's like him to a T, you can tell. Exactly. <laughs> and also his character, correct me if I'm wrong, but David Rose is pansexual. Um does, does he ever identify 
I'm having a memory from like an episode near the beginning. I don't remember her uh, ever stating sexuality. Do you, Persis? Because I could have missed it. I actually haven't seen Schitt's Creek. Okay. Oh, I'm the worst. I know. So I know. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. And I'm gonna go okay. over the holidays. Yeah, you should do it because it's so <laughs> yeah. good. And yeah, just like the queerness in it is just like it's so needed, especially for Canadian TV to like make that much of yes. a splash is very rare. And then for that type of queer character to be front and center, it's just incredible. But um I just wanted to bring up the pansexuality part because um I think you you mentioned you were pansexual at the beginning and then we didn't really pause on it, but I think pansexuality is actually an identity that can sometimes be very, there's a lot of misconceptions about it or maybe just confusions about it. We actually created a post on our Instagram months and months ago and it was just a description difference between bisexual and pansexual. Um, and it got such high engagement, this post. <laughs> and all the comments were like, thank you. They were like, after reading this, I now know that I identify as pansexual or whatever it was. Like it was a very, people were very like, yes, I needed this explanation. So in your words, would you mind explaining to you what pansexuality means? Yeah, absolutely. And I got to even just as a disclaimer, like I've been confused about what to label myself for the longest time. So um, I feel like pansexual to me, it just means that uh, yeah, I'm attracted to people and the gender doesn't really play a role in the attraction. It's more about the person and it can be the way they present physically and emotionally and intellectually. Um, and uh, yeah, rather than gen- like gender-based, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yep. Yeah. That's my understanding of it. I don't know if that's what like blew up in the comments, if that's what the general consensus was, but that's how I... Yes, that's exactly that's exactly what we described as well. And it seemed to be what other people were experiencing. And like if you do identify as bisexual, if you if you have a crush on someone, them identifying as a man might be part of that attraction. It might be like, oh, I really like that part of how he identifies, how he's how he shows up in the world. And for someone who's pansexual, gender identity just doesn't play a role in that attraction as much as maybe energy or personality or any other X number of factors that contribute exactly. to attraction. It's very nuanced, but I like how we're getting into the nuances of like the different types. of. They're so important because we talk a lot on the pod about labels and how labels can be really helpful or maybe not helpful at all. Everyone is so different, mm-hmm. but if that difference and that nuanced description helps you then like that's amazing like then we need to talk about those descriptions and talk about the differences absolutely I I think that's so important it's a great way to describe it because I know I've definitely been on the no label team and then I've been on the labels me too and oh I was the same way I was like now I'm like happily identifying as a lesbian but for so long, I was like, I need to find a label and like I would struggle with bisexual. And then I was like queer because it was kind of an umbrella. I feel like queer is just can be an umbrella term, which is lovely. But yeah, um, I like. I think we need to con- continue talking about it. It just helps people. Yeah. It does. It helps people who may be like, I don't know where, I don't know how I identify. I just start to be like, oh, that clicks by just sharing your experience. So I totally agree. 
So you said that David Rose is an example of a queer character or queer representation that you would really like to see more of in the media. So what do you think needs to happen for that kind of representation or just more representation in general to make its way to the screen and TV? Like what can queer creators do? What can allies do just coming from your experience working in the film industry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that for queer creators, um, you just need to keep showing up authentically as yourself. Um, and there's no, so many different queer representations. And I know uh, as you know, a queer woman in, in the past, I thought, oh, I don't fit the stereotype or I don't think I fit that stereotype or where do I fit? I say, just show up. You don't need to be one thing or another. Um, just be you and keep pushing and keep doing your art um, and you'll get there and you just need to be persistent. Um, and not feel like you need to make yourself into someone else to fit in, like make your own, make your own mold, make your, be your own example to other people um, who may want to follow what you're doing That's and beautiful. you give them permission to be authentic. And then in terms of, I think, allies, yeah, just I have had some conversations with people who maybe had been intimidated to include queer storylines because they're not familiar. Um, and I think that's like valid. Um, and yeah, like I had kind of, we, we had chatted about before, bringing queer people into the discussion, um, not being afraid to ask questions, like asking questions, being very open if there are any sort of blank spaces in your knowledge base about a particular storyline and bringing in as much support and obviously credit, obviously everyone credit the creators, but bring in queer um, creators to help make it authentic. Have the conversations, don't be scared. Yeah, that's, I think that's key. It's like, don't be afraid, just because you don't know, don't be afraid and push the queerness away from your project, yeah. but also don't talk like you know it if you don't, right? Like bring in people who have ex who have experience and who have knowledge and then, and don't be scared of it, like embrace it. And also like the more people you include, the better the project's going to be in that regard, not always, but in, in that regard of like sharing an authentic experience. Helps with representation, helps people feel seen. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is like telling queer stories is good for business because the queer community is going to come out and like, what? They're going to relate. They're going to go. They're going to watch the thing on Netflix. You know what I mean? Like, it's good business, you guys. Why wouldn't you include the representation? And I feel like today, like so many people identify as being queer. It's just accurately representing what's going on in current society when you include queer storylines all the time. A hundred percent. Yeah, like any chance, I mean, I feel like I can be, like I see myself in something, I'm always going to jump on it. So any gay storyline, I don't even, like I'm there, you know, like yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. have to know who the actors are, like anything. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Like it's gay. I'm watching it. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I think it's why I like started watching Riverdale. Like I wasn't. And then I was like, wait, they're queer. Oh my God. And then I was like in it. I was in it. Yeah, then you get yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's yeah, let's all be careful we're not queer baiting. I'm just realizing, like, no, you know, producers right. might be listening to this being like, oh, perfect, we'll just, like, put a fake queer, you know what I'm saying? But, yes. but I mean, okay. the gays like, will watch. No, like, cast and, and queer actors. And the allies. Yeah, but, like, get yes. queer actors in um, and get those exactly. creators in. So it's not queer baiting. Like, you're, yes. you're getting queer, Love queerness it. involved in that. And then I'll watch. Exactly. Guys, let's just start that a production so company. <gasps> Oh my gosh. Girl on girl productions. <laughs> <laughs> 
I would watch. I would, yeah, subscribe. And direct. <laughs> You're well, director. Yeah, and yeah. write. <laughs> yeah, we need you. We, Hello. We'll pay well, you. This is a pitch. Oh my God. <laughs> Yay. Money's great. Um, but that'd be so much fun. Like, I think we would just come up with the best stories. Oh my God. About oh my two God. podcast co-hosts who pretending they're not in love, but they're secretly in love. Yes. The fan fiction will ensue. Fan fiction. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, Alexa, thank you so much for hanging out with us, for giving us your time. We're so grateful and for sharing so much about the film industry and your experience and just for being like vulnerable and honest and talking about the hard stuff because this, you know, especially the dismissive, the issues in the film industry, like that's not easy. And I'm sure that took a lot of time to recover from. So thank you for being vulnerable. And how can our listeners connect with you? Um, and like keep an eye out for when new projects are launching so they can watch over and over and over. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say connect with me on Instagram, Alexa Rose Vitelli. Um, you can connect with me there and I post updates. I do have TikTok. I haven't posted there in ages. I know I <laughs> need to. So, you know, follow me there too. It's the same name. Um, and uh, when I come up with my viral TikTok content, you will be the first yes. to view it. Incredible. <laughs> Um, I love it. Yes. And I did just want to just uh, on a tail side, I wanted to make sure I didn't discourage anyone from pursuing their passions, if even if it is like misogynistic or anything like that. I don't know if I was like too harsh about that, but definitely. Yeah. No, I think it's, they'll do it. <laughs> yeah. It's important to talk about the, the real, the reality, right? These things happen. And the important part is that you learned a lot and that you took your work and you kept it and reclaimed it and went away from the bad people <laughs> and towards the good people. Exactly. Yes. And that's the that's the lesson we've learned here. Yes, there are good people. There are. Yes. Like you said, get a new crew, get a team. Like you, you have those connections and you can meet people. You never know. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me. We appreciate you. Okay, everyone, in case you missed it this week, oh God, let's please, please talk about this. I've been dying to because it is kind of just like some rich content, if you know what I mean. So Madziv, we love Madziv's page on Instagram. They had recently posted about George Santos, the Republican congressman who backed Don't Say Gay Bills. So this is some juicy news, guys, but George Santos used to perform in drag pageants. So let me repeat that. George Santos, the Republican congressman who backed Don't Say Gay Bills, used to perform in drag pageants. So George Santos, the newly elected Republican congressman who has aligned himself with the anti-LGBTQ movement, used to perform as a drag queen in Brazil. Ula Rochard, a 58-year-old Brazilian queen, told reporter Marissa Cabas that George performed in the 2000s under the name Katera Ravashi. I hope I'm saying that right, um, but that was the name George performed under. Of course, George jumped right to Twitter, saying, the most recent obsession from the media claiming that I am a drag queen or, in quotations, performed as a drag queen is categorically false. So just for some more context, guys, George Santos has publicly supported Don't Say Gay Bills, 
attended a walk away event that encouraged members of the LGBTQ community to become Republicans, pushed the conspiracy that queer people are grooming kids, and publicly aligned himself with politicians who are trying to criminalize drag queens. After George Santos was elected to Congress in November, many aspects of his biography were proven false. So to date, Santos has lied about where he went to high school, where he went to college, he did not go to college, working at two major financial institutions. He actually worked at a firm later accused of being a Ponzi scheme, founding an animal charity, his mom dying in 9-11, she was actually in Brazil at the time, his grandmother being a Holocaust victim, having employees who died in the Pulse nightclub shooting, and being Jewish. He later clarified that he was only, in quotations, Jew-ish. So George Santos has stayed silent on many of those allegations against him. You know, casually, that he lied about his professional history, criminal record, and ancestry. But it took him less than one day to deny he ever performed in drag. He knows that that's the only part of his past that Republicans would really care about. My mind is just blown. So Mad Ziv has this really funny um, carousel post. I'm going to link this in the description. But basically, it shows um, the dialogue of George Santos and the people. So here it says, people say, George Santos, can you please explain why you lied about where you went to school, where you worked, how your parents died, your criminal record, and your religion? George Santos is silent. Then the other line says, people say, George Santos, were you ever a drag queen? George Santos replies, no, I swear to God, I was never, ever a drag queen. I would never do that. I promise. <laughs> okay, so, so many questions. What the hell is going on? George Santos, this is just ridiculous. It's so hypocritical. Um, and if you do go to this carousel post, I think it's on slide. Well, you guys will see it if you go through it. I want to say it's on slide four, three or four. There's like a, a morph going on where it has like George Santos is like just just his photo, like his headshot. And then he's slowly morphing into his drag, the drag queen. So anyway, guys, let's please talk about this. This is absolutely wild. And I really wanted to discuss this for this week's in case you missed it. So to close this all out, Ula Richard, the Brazilian queen, told the reporter Marissa that Santos performed for fun, but not as a job. He did not have what it takes to be a professional. George did not have the glamour for that. Oof. And that is tea. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode with Alexa Rose Vitali. I really hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to Alexa for being a part of the conversation again. We love you. And once again, please send us a DM if you have any topics you want us to cover slash me to cover, lol. Um, but really looking forward to hearing from you and we'll talk to you soon.